Hello and welcome to Double Reel, the monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. My name's James Adamson and I'm a film nerd with a geeky love of film and obscure stories from the world of cinema and a lot of opinions. Joining me on the podcast is my co-host, also called James Adamson. Welcome, James. Thank you very much. This is the Penalty Shootout Film Quiz, the fiendishly complicated and keenly contested battle of minds to see who uh, can win in this father-son film trivia contest. I, I think we couldn't possibly pack more gimmicks than that into one quiz. Um, we previously did this part of Double Real Monthly, but I think it flows better and, and you know gets the, more of the attention it deserves with its own episode. Um, James, this was your brilliant idea. Why don't, why don't you walk the, uh, walk the lovely audience through the format of how, of how we run this quiz? So, it's basically just a kind of little fun quiz to kind of break up all the kind of news and discussion that we have uh, for your waiting years. Uh, but it's basically the format of a penalty shootout. So, we both have five questions to answer each. And the winner chooses a forfeit for the loser. At the start, we have what's called the kind of coin toss. So, we each give each other a list of five films, directors, actors, whatever... And we blindly rank them from one to five without knowing what's coming next. And we kind of mutually decide who has the best list. The person who has the best list can choose whether to go first and also gets um, a sort of like, a sort of kind of... A lifeline. Lifeline is the best way to call it. A clue um, that they might get given if they're struggling one of the questions. And yeah, um, the forfeit is usually a film that we know the other person won't want to watch. That's right. in the event of a draw, we have like a sudden death question. If it's still a stalemate after that, we just kind of we, we, we disagree kind of thing, shake yeah, hands and that move Yeah, we, we call it a draw. Now, if we've done really, we, we, we agreed that if we did really badly, like if we did really badly in the quiz, like really screwed up, um, and there was no winner, we'd both watch our forfeit film. That's never happened. They tend to be quite, even if, even if I say, my, say so myself, quite high quality contests. Um, but there it is. You have a coin toss to decide who goes first and gets a lifeline. You then get a penalty shootout where we answer one question each uh, to, to a best of five, a tiebreaker to try and settle it, and then a fourth for the loser. Now, throughout the time of this that we've been doing this quiz, I have failed to beat James in a quiz. Um, you know, it looks like my son is, is besting me at something I thought I was good at. So uh, mixed feelings about that. If I ever win one of these things, I'm going to make him watch The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, a Wes Anderson film, which has got all of the mannerisms and quirks and things that I know he's going to hate. The, you've, you've, you've got me a few different things to do. The last time, your last suggestion, which didn't happen because the last quiz ended in a draw, was a famously bad film, The Room, which is going to be probably quite a fun watch, even though it's a terrible film. Um, do you still want the same uh, forfeit for me, or did you think of something else? What was the forfeit again? Sorry. Last time it was the room. Um, what, yeah, what? yeah, we'll go with that because yeah. it's it's terrible, but it's also a good laugh. We'll stick with the room for Yeah, me. yeah. Okay, so life aquatic for you, room for me, depending on who wins. Now, do you want to do your blind ranking list first or do you want to give me a blind, blind ranking list first? I'll do mine first. Okie dokie. So that's me reading a list out to you, yeah? Yes. Okay, I would like you to rank the following five Brad Pitt performances. Now, audience, in case it wasn't completely clear, it's blind rank, so I'm going to read these out one at a time. James has to has to get, has to assign it a rank out of five, not knowing what the next one's going to be, and that's where that's where the skill lies or the luck lies. Um, so, James, I want you to rank these Brad Pitt performances, not the film. Doesn't matter if you love or hate the film. It's what did you think of his performance in the film? Uh, okay. 
Uh, first up, seven. Um, three. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Two. Thelma and Louise. Oh, he's barely in that. Five. Inglorious Bastards. One. Fury. Four. I'm quite happy with that. You're happy with that? You're happy with where everything landed? I mean, I my favourite performance of his is Inglorious Bastards. And then what did I put second? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep, probably fine with that being second. Seven, he's good in that, but he just sort of plays the kind of role he's meant to play, the kind of detective who's kind of getting a bit too into the case, but gets kind of his personal life dragged into it, but nothing that blows me away. Four, Fury, not as good as seven, and Thelma Louise, like I said, he's not, he's like, he's in the film, but he's not in the film. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's an interesting debut, which, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, right. so you're, you're, you're happy with yours. Let's see if I do better or worse with my list. Off you go. I want you to rank these Al Pacino performances. Oh, interesting. We've gone the same route, just with different actors. Yes. So, Scarface. Hmm. This is, this is a divisive one, this. I like it more than some people do, but I'm confident there are, you know, better Al Pacino performances out there, so I'm going to say three. Okay. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Mm, I do love him in Glengarry and Ross, and he's better than in Scarface, so I'm going to say two, on the assumption there's something stronger out there. The Godfather, part one. <sighs> oh, oh, you cheeky bastard. I might have screwed myself here, because do I put it one or four? Um, okay, he's brilliant in it. What's going to happen here is if you say Godfather Part 2 and I have to put that fourth that I'm stuffed, um, flip a coin. Okay, one, one. He's brilliant in it. One. Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, another fantastic performance. Uh, well, well, it has to be four. Last one. Serpico. <laughs> Five. Um, I mean, the... Out of those, I think Scarface should be fifth. So I've not quite got that right because Serpico and Dog Dattino are great performances. He's, I still think he's very good in Scarface, but out of those, Scarface should be five. So uh, hand on heart, you've done better with yours than I've done with mine, mate. So you get to choose whether to go first or second and you get a lifeline. Um, I'll go second. You're going to go second. Okay, and save your lifeline for if you need to go. Okay, we are now in the shootout. Here we go. A forfeit of a film we don't like is on the line. Uh, question one for you, James. Christopher, you said you wanted to go first, right? Uh, I did say second, but... Oh, sorry, no, one. no, sorry, sorry, no. You said go second, so go second. I'll uh, re read me a question. So. Stanley Kubrick famously never won Best Director. How many nominations did he get without a win? Okay. He was definitely nominated for... ...2001 A Space Odyssey, so that's one. Now, the question is whether he was nominated for Spartacus, because Pass the Glory was great. I don't recall if he got actual nominations for that. Um, 
his nomination. So the, the, the ones where he was in the mix would have been Paths of Glory, Spartacus, because it was a big movie and Kurt Douglas was in it. Doctor Strangelove. Uh, it's 2001 Space Odyssey and Barry Lyndon. I don't think he got nominated for... Um, uh, I don't think he got nominated for The Shining or uh, Eyes Wide Shut or Full Metal Jacket. So... Was he nominated for... Spartacus. I don't think he's nominated for Paths of Glory because while that was really good, I, I don't think that got actually that much awards attention. So it's a question of whether he was nominated for Spartacus. He's definitely nominated for Doctor uh, for a uh, two thousand one Space Odyssey. I think, I think he's nominated for Doctor Strangelove. And I think he's nominated for Barry Lyndon. Am I missing one? Is it Spartacus? Because they did Spartacus won for cinematography. I think it was nominated for other stuff as well. So it's three with those, and it's a question of whether he won for Spartacus as well. I am going to say I do think I do think it's I, I'm gonna say four. Four. You are correct. Oh so, it's, so he was uh, nominated for Spartacus. No, he was nominated for Barry Lyndon, a clockwork orange. Oh clockwork orange one and oh. Doctor Strange Love. Oh right, okay, alright. So right for the wrong reason. I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. That's one nil to me. You're yet to answer a question. Uh, your first question, number one. Christopher Nolan made the step up from independent film to Hollywood productions with 2002's Insomnia, which was a remake of a Scandinavian film. Which Nordic actor played the main role in the original, replaced by Al Pacino in the Nolan version? So Al Pacino was the lead in Christopher Nolan's version of Insomnia. Who played that lead role in the original Scandinavian version? Hmm. No. I've got no idea, so I'm just going to have to start thinking about Scandinavian actors. And all I can think of is Stellan Skarsgård. But could it be that guy who was in John Wick and the Swedish version of the Millennium Trilogy? What's his name again? Michael Nyquist. I know he passed away coming up for 10 years ago now. Um, and if it's not those two, then I don't really know any Scandinavian uh, actors. Um, 
I'll just go with my first instinct and say Stellan Skarsgård because there's not any other Scandinavian actors that I think it could be. Is the correct answer. Woo! If you'd played your lifeline there, I was going to give you um, choices of Stellan Skarsgård, Michael Nyquist, like you said, and uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, I will. And I wouldn't have thought you'd think it was Mads Mikkelsen because he's a bit younger than the other two. Um, so you're probably better off that you went straight with your gut rather than asking for a lifeline. Because yeah. if I'd added Michael Nyquist, you might have gone, oh shit, maybe it was him. <laughs> okay, that's one each. Now it's time for my second question. Right. Should be quite a good one for you. So, how many Oscars has Oppenheimer been nominated for? Uh, Okay, let's count this out. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, that's three. Best Supporting Actor, that's four. Did it get someone nominated in the Best Supporting Actress? That would be four. So, so far we've got Actor, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Best Picture, Best Director would be five. So the question is... That's five. Script, not visual effects, definitely editing... Score, cinematography, sound. God, I got loads, didn't it? It's like... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get this. So, what was I reading the other day? It's like Oppenheimer's on like... No, Clues of Flamman's on like 11. And Poor Things is on 10. And Oppenheimer's got the most. So has it got... Oppenheimer's got more than those two, right? So it's either on 12 or 13. It's not got, no one's ever had 14, I don't think. Okay. For absolutely no reason other than in my head, in my head, I thought it was an odd number. So I think it's got more than Killers of the Flower Moon, and I think it's an odd number, and it can't be 15, because that would be insane. I would remember... So I, th- I think it's an odd number, and I think it's more than Killers. So, 13? Correct. Oh, fuck me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, 2-1, and now you have your second question. Yes, sir. Which of the following Spider-Man supervillains has only ever been portrayed by one actor to date in the live-action Spider-Man films and Spider-Man universe films? A. Venom B. Lizard C. Green Goblin So the films that you you need to look for are the main Spider-Man films that have had Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in and any of these recent live-action Spider-Man universe films in like Venom and and, and whatever whatever else it is, yeah? Just to be clear, it's the supervillain that we're looking for. So if a character that becomes a supervillain gets used in one of those films but isn't a supervillain in that particular version, that doesn't count. It's only when the supervillain likes, say, Venom or Lizard or whoever has turned up. So 
Venom, Lizard, Green Goblin. One of those has been portrayed by only one actor. The other two have been portrayed by more than one actor in different versions. Venom, Lizard, Green Goblin. Well, let's break it down. So Venom was played by Topher Grace and Tom Hardy. So that's two. Now, this is when I'm a bit confused because I was under the impression that only Risa fans had played um, Lizard. And I was under the impression that only... Willem Dafoe had played... Oh, no. Now, now then... Okay, I thought Willem Dafoe had only played the Green Goblin because in those amazing Spider-Man films, someone else does play Norman Osborn, but I don't think you see him wear the Green Goblin costume. And then Dane DeHaan um, is in it and plays his son, and he might be the Hobgoblin, and James Franco plays the Hobgoblin in uh, Spider-Man 3. So unless I'm missing a film that has the lizard in it, I would go for the Green Goblin, unless I can think of one in like the next 30 seconds. Um, the lizard isn't in the first Spider-Man, is he? He's not in Tom Holland the ones in who plays Dr. Kirk Connors? Oh. So you're saying only when we see them as the lizard or the green goblin or as Venom. Yeah, yeah. Not, not when they had yeah. Dr. Curtis Connors in the Spider-Man films, because I'm pretty sure he plays one of the lecturers, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So it would have to be the lizard then. But I would also say that the Green Goblin is only played by Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin, because James Franco and Dane DeHaan play uh, Harry Osborn. I don't even think... Does Dane DeHaan play the Hobgoblin? Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to overrule here, because I think your logic is absolutely impeccable, but when I looked this up, um, the 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 sort of what what's being regarded as canon now is that Dane DeHaan is actually playing Green Goblin, not Hobgoblin, and you walked that through and you identified him as playing that villain. So I'm going to overrule you and give you Lizard as your correct answer, because I I think that the, the film confused it. So I'm overruling and and, and awarding you a correct that's answer just, there. That's that's not me remembering. No, um, you, you, I mean, you 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 walked it through and you identified him as playing Hobgoblin, not Green Goblin, and that's. In the actual film, they don't name him, and I don't think it's fair to mark you wrong there. So I'm overruling you and giving you that as a right answer. Okay, thank you. I would have. I got the answer. Correct, it it would be. Just, it, yeah, it would be unsporting to kind of take that away from you does when you've Dane actually. Does Dan play the Green Goblin? Does he get on the glider in that? I genuinely have not remembered that. Um, I'm pretty sure he. The thing is, right? He looks really different to traditional Green Goblins played by William Defoe, and they only call him Goblin in the film. So it's but he really gets on confusing. A Does he? I'm not. He, I he, cannot remember that. I, I don't remember whether he gets on a glider either. But when I when I looked this up, they you know all the news stories are Dane DeHaan played Green Goblin, and then in the Wikipedia it's Green Goblin, even though, like you say, even though in the um in in the the in the comics when Harry plays him, he's he's seen as like New Goblin or not actually Green Goblin. But for for that purpose, you've you've. I, I, I've I've sat there and watched you identify who played who. I can't give you I can't give you that one wrong. So okay. two two two. 
Right. So it is now your turn for a question. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, the new Captain Marvel film, The Marvels, yeah, was a a resounding disaster. It was a box office flop. Now, I'm going by the numbers on IMDb, but how much money did it make at the box office compared to its $220 million budget? I'll give you three options. So, was it A, $195 million? Was it B, $206 million? Or was it C, $230 million against its $220 million budget? Is that, None is of that, those options are worldwide? great. No, is that worldwide? That's the worldwide gross that I've I've chosen... One one of those options is correct, and then I've made up the other two. So it's one nine five was the first one. One nine five two or six, and I think would I say two thirty something 230. like that. Two um, thirty. Uh, it was a fucking massive flop, wasn't it? Because these films cost two hundred odd to make, and then you have the marketing costs. So that's a they need to make seven hundred million to make a. Profit, yeah, so, so they've absolutely died on their ass. Under two hundred million seems low, but then always the question is: Why is it a question? Why is it so notable that they've done as badly as they have? Why is uh, why is there only like thirty five million difference in the three options I gave you? Yeah, two hundred two hundred thirty. I did read something about it being like the lowest, like grossing. Oh, all of those could be right though. <sighs> Okay, I have no, I've got no logic to base it on because I just, I, I had no interest in that film, to be honest. But, okay, look, if in doubt, go down the middle. 206, I don't know, 206. Correct. <laughs> okay, that's so more by luck than judgment. If you're going just by budget, it lost 14 million and then that's not including all the advertising. And Fucking marketing. hell, that's an absolute disaster, isn't it? So that's my third, uh, three, two. Here's your third question. The following film franchises all had their first film released in the 2000s, you know, the decade 2000 and 2009. But which of them made the most money at the global box office? This is the, the all franchises combined, all franchise films combined, yeah? Right. A, Pirates of the Caribbean. B, Shrek. C, Transformers. So it's global box office for all of those, all the films that are considered in that franchise, and that includes spin-off films. So for the Transformers that, series, that includes Bumblebee. For Shrek, that includes um, one to four, um, uh, but it also includes like the Puss in Boots films. So everything that's considered part of that franchise. No, Pirates of the Caribbean did make a fuckload of money, and they have five films. Transformers must be on the sixth film by now. I think they've made at least five. 
maybe six, and they always tend to make a billion at a time. And then, and then you've got the Bumblebee one as well, so I think that makes six, doesn't it? So I think they've got six films that will have made a lot of money. So Pirates of the Caribbean have got five films. The first three, and maybe the fourth one will have made a lot of money. I don't think the fifth one did. And then Shrek. So Shrek has six films, but I don't think... Oh, wow. I might use my lifeline here. Okay. Just because I think it is very... It might not be very close, but it's very hard to determine out of all of these which one is the... Yeah. Okay, how do... I'm, I'm going to try and work out how to give you a, a, a decent lifeline here. Um... How do I do this? Because I, I, you know, if you're using a lifeline, it's got to be meaningful. It's got to be a decent chance. But I can't um, just give it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me start. Okay. I'll, let me start by telling you how many films are in each franchise. And if you don't think that's a, enough of a lifeline, we'll, we'll 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 give you like the next stage lifeline out of this. Do you see what I mean? Right. Okay. So Shrek's films. There are six of them. Yeah. Shrek in 2001, Shrek 2 in 2004, Shrek the 3rd in 2007, Shrek Forever After 2010. There was then a spin-off Puss in Boots 2011, Puss in Boots The Last Wish, that's six, isn't it? One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah? Yes. And most of them are sort of 2001, 2011. Pirates of the Caribbean, there are five. Five Pirates of the Caribbean films, Curse of Black Pearl, Dead Man's Chest, At World's End, On Stranger Times, Dead Man, Two Months Hell, so five. Dating between 2003 and 2017. Transformers, there are seven films. Transformers, then The Revenge of the Fallen, Dark of the Moon, Age of Extinction, The Last Night in 2017, Bumblebee in 2018, and Rise of the Beasts in 2023. So that's seven films. It, is that Based on what your estimates were on what each film sort of tended to make when, when it came out, is that enough of a lifeline or do you want me to help you out a little bit more? So run, run, run me through it again. So there was Five Pirates of the Caribbean, Six Shrek and Puss in Boots and, films. Uh, yeah, and seven Transformers films. It's got to be Transformers. You happy with that? I, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't, but I'm pretty sure every single one of them made a billion. So Correct answer. Yeah. Okay, so you've used your lifeline. You've kept it at 3-3. Three, three. Cool. Okay, my fourth question. So, your fourth question, right. So, out of these three Christopher Nolan films, which has the highest rating on IMDb? So, this is films he's directed, not films he's produced or written, just films that he's directed. Okay. So, we have... Just the, not the Metacritic, but the user rating on IMDb. User rating on IMDb, I got you. So we have Oppenheimer. We have The Dark Knight Rises. And we have The Prestige. So Oppenheimer is a big hit recently, really strong, done really well. That's got to be high. Dark Knight Rises is sort of the seen as the slightly weaker of the three. I still really like it. Terrific ending, but people sometimes feel it sags in the middle. 
and it's not seen as being as good as the Dark Knight and Batman. Well, maybe it's on the power Batman Begins. Still brilliant though. And the Prestige. See, I really like the Prestige, but it's not really up near my top. So maybe I'm underrating it. So it's the best. It's Oppenheim is so good though, isn't it? It's so strong, but maybe some people haven't been keen because of a. Uh, what are the criticisms of the Prestige? Not so much criticisms, just it's a sort of quieter than than his other films. It hasn't been seen by as many people. Dark Knight Rises has some criticisms of it's a bit lumpy in the middle. Oppenheimer has some criticisms that some people feel like it could have finished after two hours. Why is it a question? Why is it a question? If it's Oppenheimer, because it's about to win Best Picture, maybe that's too obvious. So is it The Dark Knight Rises because that's surprisingly highly rated compared to, you know, what people think? Or is it The Prestige because surely his Batman trilogy and his Oppenheimer would be higher once maybe Prestige is the higher. So I think it's out of The Prestige and Dark Knight Rises. That, that's got to be the thing. It's too obvious if it's Oppenheimer. It's not, it's not even going to be a question on this quiz if it's Oppenheimer. So I think it's I think it's because it's the prestige is the one that's the least likely to be the most rated. So the prestige. Correct. Oof. So Oppenheimer 8.4. The Dark yep. Knight Rises 8.4. 8.4? Dark Knight Rises is rated the same in IMDb as Oppenheimer. And the prestige is 8.5. Wow. Wow. He's got to have like among the highest average IMDb rating of any film director, hasn't he? Um, it's one for another time. There's, there's a quiz question for another month. <laughs> Dun Dunkirk and Tenet bring it down. So does Insomnia, and mm. I suppose if you're counting following, that's a, I feel mm. that's a bit hard. Yeah, 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 I suppose so. All right. Okay, that's four, three. Here's your fourth question. Okay, many of Will Ferrell's sort of star vehicle films were directed by Adam McKay, who went on to do very different styles of films, such as The Big Short and Don't Look Up. But which of the following famous Will Ferrell films was not directed by Adam McKay? So we're asking the question, which of these films was not directed by Adam McKay? A, Anchorman. B, Blades of Glory. C, Step Brothers. Well, I know Step Brothers is... Um, Blades of Glory? No. I would have assumed that Adam Kay did that. Does that mean Adam Kay didn't actually direct Anchorman? Is this the kind of... You'd think, oh, he definitely directed Anchorman with him. I remember seeing Adam McKay's name for Step Brothers. I don't remember seeing it for... Anchorman or Blades of Glory, which is strange because Anchorman is probably Will Ferrell's most popular film. So, <sighs> I, th just because I can rule out Step Brothers, it means I've got to go either with Anchorman or Blades of Glory. And because Anchorman is so popular and so successful, I'm going to assume that was done by Adam McKay and say Blades of Glory is the correct answer. Whew. 
Uh, Blade of Glory is directed by Josh Gordon and Will Speck, who I've never heard of outside of never that film. Heard of, yeah. Okay, four each. Uh, we're getting towards the business end now. What is my fifth question, mate? Okay. So Marlon Brando was famously nominated for plenty of Oscars. Mm-hmm. He won for two on the waterfront and for The Godfather, of course. He was nominated for another six Oscars, which he didn't win for in acting uh, roles, both supporting and leading. So that's six. Can you name me three of them when he was nominated but didn't win? So you don't need to name the role, just the films. So obviously excluding On the Waterfront and The Godfather, which he won for. So on the waterfront, he won for Godfather. He won for how many do I need to name out of his six? Uh, three. Three of his other ones. I'm pretty sure that he was nominated for Last Tango in Paris. That is correct. Now, this is this just best actor or best supporting as so well? So there's a mixture. There's supporting roles. There's leading roles. It's mostly there's. One supporting role and the other ones are leading roles. So you've got Last Tango in Paris. Mm-hmm. So that means there's one supporting role and four leading roles to choose from. So that's five and you've got two to get. Okay. I'm pretty sure his other big one that he got a strong nomination for was A Streetcar Named Desire. So that's my second guess. Yep. After that, whew. So he played Napoleon in Desiree, but I don't. Th- was no, I don't think that. He was Apocalypse Now. He was. That was controversial. That performance. Everyone's going. Why did he mumble? Why didn't? Why didn't he go the script? Why did? Why did he turn up so overweight? Um, what else has he done that might trouble the Oscars? There's that one where he plays a... Um, is it the Young Lions where he plays a... He plays a... Um, uh, like a German soldier. There's Mutiny on the Bounty, which he played um, Fletcher Christian. Is it something weird? Like, did he get a nomination for Jarrell in Superman? That would be weird. It's definitely. Is the wild one too early? Because that's like a big debut in the 50s, and maybe that's too soon and too rebellious. Um. Apocalypse Now, did he? That's. Oh, man. What are his other. What are his other ones that he did? He did. He did some sort of. He did some sort of thing where he was. Mexican was that one-eyed jacks or something like that or there was a, 
Is it Viva Zapata or is that what was that Rod Steiger? Oh. oh, you know, mm. you know what? Where was that? That version of Julius Caesar was really well regarded and they do love their Shakespeare, but was he nominated for that or was he nominated for Apocalypse Now? Uh, I think Apocalypse Now is too controversially played. Mark Antony in Julius Caesar is right at his peak. It's around about the time of Streetcar Named Desire, all of the stuff like Zapata and One-Eyed Jacks and Mutiny on the Bounty, he went off the boil. But it's like the 50s, it's it's really... Big. James Mason's in it. Who plays Caesar in that? But he's Mark Antony, Julius Caesar. Is that leading... Oh. I can't think... I think this is wrong. I can't think of a better answer though, but I think I think Julius Caesar is the best guess I can come up with because I'm just not sure enough about any of his other his other performances. So Julius Caesar. Correct. Oh fuck me. Was he nominated for Apocalypse now? No, he was nominated for Viva Zapata. Oh, it was him. Alright. Sayonara. Sayonara. Alright, yeah, that's one reason. Dry white season. Right, right. Oh, dry white seat. Oh, okay. So that was a supporting role. Okay. Okay, you are now playing to stay in this for your fifth answer. Bear in mind, I've lost five of these, and I think we've just upped it so much because you don't want to watch that Wes Anderson film. Well, I don't want to lose anymore, so we're just battering and battering yeah. the hardest possible questions. Your fifth answer to take it to a tiebreaker. Which of the following actors did not start out as a practicing doctor before turning to full-time acting? So each of these three people studied medicine in some capacity, but two of them actually practiced as doctors before they became full-time actors. One of them didn't. And the answers, the, the possible answers are A, Ken Jeong, B, Lisa Kudrow, C, Graham Chapman from Monty Python. One of those did not practice as a doctor before becoming a full-time actor. So I famously know that Ken Jeong was a practicing, not, not a practicing doctor, but did, you know, I'm pretty sure he went to medical school at like 16 or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But again, it's the question is, was he a practicing one um, before he got into acting? I had no idea about the other two. Um, I'm going to assume that Ken Jong did if he managed to get to medical school so early. He could have been a practicing doctor by the age of about 22 before his Hollywood career even kicked off. Now it's between Lisa Kudrow and Graham Chapman. I kind of get the vibe that maybe Lisa Kudrow did her kind of degree on the side and maybe Graham Chapman did do some, like, maybe he did practice as a doctor. But, it, it, again, it would be an absolute, you know, punt in the dark. Um, genuinely, I can't even begin to... 
I'm just going to go with my gut and say that Lisa Kudrow wasn't a practicing doctor and Graham Chapman did do a bit of practicing. It's the correct answer. You're absolutely right. Ken Jong was a doctor. He was actually, I think he might have actually even been Judd Apatow's doctor. And that's why he cast him in, mm-hmm. in Knocked Up. Because he thought he was a funny guy and that, you know, you know, Graham Chapman was, he was, he was at Oxford or Cambridge or one of them with the rest of the Python guys and doing all sorts of stuff together, but it wasn't enough money to kind of turn professional just yet. So he finished his medical degree and actually was a practicing doctor. I think he was like a GP or something. Um, And, and only when sort of it really picked up and the TV shows they were doing like, you know, he started to get full-time that he actually gave up, but he was actually a full-on practicing doctor. Lisa Kudrow wanted to be a doctor. She had a degree in microbiology and she could have gone on, but she got cast in Friends instead. So you're absolutely right. She's the one that they all, you know, they all start, they all planned to be doctors and she's the one that never quite actually practiced. Okay, we're on our tiebreaker. So I'm just going to make this a kind of 50-50 question. All right. So I'm going to give you two films, and you just have to tell me which one made more. Okay. Yep. So your two films are Fast X and Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Fast X, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Now, Guardians underperformed compared to the previous two, but then... I remember them saying Fast X might not make as much money as it did before because of China. Because it, it used to like make a lot of money in China and it didn't even get released in China this time. But the Marvel films all did quite badly last year. Is this the thing that Fast X actually... This is when Fast X overtakes Marvel. That's how bad a year Marvel had, whereas normally they always outperform that. On the other hand, Guardians was like the only sort of good Marvel film last year. Okay, purely on the strength that I think Fast X didn't get a big release in China, which it normally relied on for a lot of its box office. I'm going to kick myself if this is wrong. But I think Guardians 3 was the one sort of rare success in Marvel last year. I don't reckon it's by much. Might only be a couple of million in it, but I reckon Guardians just skates through. So Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Correct. Is it close? Uh, Guardians made about eight hundred and forty-five million there or thereabouts, and Fast X made seven hundred and fifty. Oh, so, yeah, that is down. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, so now your tiebreaker. You either you, now we co- either call it a draw, or or I finally win one and make it five-one to you in quizzes. Let's see if you can get you one, one of these. Which of the following films from the IMDb bottom one hundred? worst films of all time, made the most money at the global box office. So these are all considered among the worst films. Yeah. Right, okay. But which one of them made more money at the box office? A, Disaster Movie. Right. B, Son of the Mask. C, The Wicker Man, Nick Cage version. Which one of those made the most money at the box office? So, hmm. I didn't realise all three of these were in the bottom. Um... So, I've just got to try and figure out how much I think Disaster Movie would have made. So, they probably spin these on like a $10 million budget. And if they make 40 or something like that, they'll be happy. Just to be absolutely clear, it's 
profits are relevant. These might have made less than their budget. It's purely the the box office number you're looking for. You're not so looking for anything more complicated. Much, how, so how, how much? Even in if ticket. it cost 100 million, if it sold, if it made 90 million, then it's still more than the others. It's yeah, yeah, it, yeah exactly right. Yeah. Right. I mean, nobody knows the box office numbers of these films off the top of their head. Like no, nobody goes. Oh yeah, I know the uh, box office amounts for Son of the Mask. Nobody knows that, so I can't mm-hmm. even begin to go. Oh yeah, the Son of the Mask made X, and Disaster Movie made Y. So yeah, you've got to work out what sort of scale of film it's <sighs> likely to have been. So, I would probably put Disaster Movie bottom, um, just because it's one of those films. It's like a B movie. I mean that's rich, but it's one of those ones where it's made on the cheap, um, and uh, I just uh, see that one being bottom. So it's between Wicker Man and Son of the Mask. So I think you just kind of toss a coin, and heads is Son of the Mask and tails. So I'm tempted to say Son of the Mask made more than. The Wicker Man, just because you know it's a Nicolas Cage film. It's a remake of a an old film. I don't see it making more than the Son of the Mask, which still would have had a lot of people going to see it because of the Jim Carrey film films. I think there was a couple, wasn't there? There was at least one. I can't remember if they made a sequel with Jim Carrey or not. I can't. I can't actually remember. There, yeah, there was only one Jim Carrey version, and this was the sequel to that with this with, was the with not Jim Carrey. Um, I am leaning towards Son of the Mask, just trying to kind of make some sense of what I think these films would have garnered and kind of just kind of like attention and popularity. Um, I couldn't give you any of the amounts. I think it does go Disaster Movie, then Wicker Man, and then Son of the Mask made the most. So I'm going to go for Son of the Mask. Okay, so Disaster Movie made 348 Okay. Wicker Man made 38.8. The Mask made 59.9. Christ. The Disaster Movie was actually a financial success because it only cost 20 million, so that kind of probably just about made its money back. The The Mask cost 100 million to make and was a complete flop. The Wicker Man, believe it or not, cost $40 million to make. Fucking hell. <laughs> you can't see that money up on the screen, can you? Okay, so that is another draw, another another like six out of six questions, highest quality. Neither of us wants to watch these forfeits. I mean, I don't actually mind too much about watching The Room. I've just got to win one. I can't keep losing quizzes, and you don't want to watch that Wes Anderson film. So we're fighting hard on this. Uh, but well played, James. Uh, we'll do that again next month. Smashing. Thank you for listening to the latest Penalty Shootout film quiz brought to you by Double Reel. The score remains 5-0 to James, no, the other one, after another stalemate. Thanks to my co-host, James Adamson. Thanks also to Podbean for hosting and Audacity for editing. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. The first part of this month's issue, Double Reel Monthly, is available to download now with news, new releases, reviews of new films and our new annual projects. In a few days, we will deliver the next part, The Features, with the theme of films about the television industry. This includes our classic network and hidden gem Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. 
The one that got away is the story of the French comedy legend Jacques Tati's confusion, and our remake Hate Watch is a 2005 reboot of Bewitched. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media.